0: You know, um, my wife and I, Tracy, we have this uh, little uh, ceramic uh, nativity set, and we've had it for years, and after raising, you know, five children, um, anything in our house that can be broken probably has been broken, and um, last year, my four-year-old grandson, Beckett, uh, he pulled this ceramic uh, nativity set down, and he began to play with it, and uh, Uh, I warned him that they could break pretty easily and that some of them had already been broken. And I left the room to take care of something else. And I came back just a couple of minutes later, and uh, he's sitting there on the floor, and he says, Hey, look, Pa, Joseph's head popped off. (laughs) It's hard to be mad at that, you know. (laughs) Sometimes it seems like every year there's... uh, some part of Joseph's head that needs to be glued, hot glued back on, you know. But um, I think one year there was a, a small, one of those little fun-sized pieces of uh, like uh, Hershey's chocolate, little little candy bar. One of the boys, um, I'm not going to say who, but his initials are Joshua. He, uh, <laughs> he glued that on for the head for Joseph, okay? <laughs> candy bar head, but um, anyway... Um, way off track here. Um, you know, several years ago, there were some small kids. They were helping set up a nativity set, and uh, they placed baby Jesus in the center, and they placed Moses, or Moses. They placed Joseph and Mary next to him there, and then the shepherds were there, and then they asked the teacher, they said, where would you like us to put the wise guys? You know, <laughs> and um, nativity sets and wise men... Um, have suffered a great deal of abuse over the years, the 20 centuries or 21 centuries uh, since Jesus was born. You know, the Magi, these wise men, and they came to celebrate the birth of Christ. And, you know, they've had legends and there's traditions that have, have come forth about them, you know, um, uh, songs have been written, stories have been embellished about who they were, uh, where they were from, uh, you know, what they did before and after uh, finding the, the newborn king. And, you know, they, some traditions even have given them names and, and things like that, Um New Testament scholars, uh, Edward Schweitzer and Frank Stagg, they've observed that the notion that the wise men might be kings would have contradicted every New Testament picture of the humble beginnings of Jesus Christ. He came and didn't have, didn't know royalty. They, you know, rather than being accepted by kings, Jesus was rejected by the political and religious power structures of his day. Herod, the only king that's mentioned in the, the birth narrative account, actually tried to kill the baby. I want you to listen to this prophecy out of Isaiah chapter 60, and then we're going to go to Matthew chapter 2, and we're going to read this account, Matthew's account of uh, the wise men coming, the Magi coming. But in Isaiah chapter 60, I want to read six verses there. Uh, The prophecy says this, it says, arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. For behold, darkness will cover the earth and deep darkness the peoples, but the Lord will rise upon you and his glory will appear upon you. Nations will come to your light and kings to the brightness of your rising. Lift up your eyes round about and see. They all gather together. They come to you. Your sons will come from afar and your daughters will be carried in the arms. Then you will see and be radiant and your heart will thrill and rejoice because the abundance of the sea will be turned to you. The wealth of the nations will come to you. A multitude of camels will cover you. The young camels of Midian and Ephah, all those from Sheba will come. They will bring gold and frankincense and will bear good news of the praises of the Lord. And then in Matthew chapter 2, as we read the account of the visit of the Magi, it says, Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, Magi from the east arrived in Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. Gathering together all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Messiah was to be born. And they said to him, in Bethlehem of Judea, for this is what has been written by the prophet. And you, Bethlehem, land of Judah, are by no means least among the leaders of Judah, for out of you shall come forth a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Verse seven, then Herod secretly called the Magi and determined from them the exact time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, go and search carefully for the child, and when you have found him, report to me so that I too May come and worship him. And after hearing the king, they went their way. And the star which they had seen in the east went on before them until it came and stood over the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceeding with great joy. After coming into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell to the ground and worshiped him. Then opening their treasures, they presented to him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned by God in a dream not to return to Herod, the Magi left for their own country by another way. Loving Father, I thank you for this time, and I thank you for your word. I ask, Father, that you would open our hearts and open our minds that your Holy Spirit would guide us to all truth. And Father, that you would show us and reveal to us the truth of our own hearts. I pray, Father, that you would just uh, reign preeminent in this time together. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. You know, the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, <laughs> it was surrounded by all these supernatural events. I mean, you have angels who are making announcements to people about them being, giving birth. You have a virgin who is conceived by the Holy Spirit. You have a virgin who is conceived by God and becomes pregnant from God supernatural you have the the shepherds who are uh, making these announcements or the, the the angels are making the announcements to the shepherds and you have all this supernatural stuff and so I ask the question who are the magi it talks here about them coming now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king magi from the east arrived in Jerusalem And I I think about that and, you know, their identity cannot be known for certain. We don't know who they are. We don't know that there was three kings. We don't know that they were, uh, we we know that they were scholars, that they were wise men, but we don't know a whole lot about them. Um, They were most likely learned priests of tribes from the Medes, the Persians, um, Arabia from Mesopotamia, or some other unknown eastern point, but they were scholars they were scholars who combined religion with science. Now there's a, there's a thought. They were scholars who combined religion with science, with astronomy, with astrology, and with medicine. And so they were well-learned, they were well-studied, they were well-read for their time. And they came asking about the Christ child because they thought that he would be the universal king <laughs> who would usher in a golden age, an age of peace, of goodwill, and those kind of things. You know, in the extra-biblical book, one that's outside of the Bible, the Testament of Levi, verse chapter 18, verse three, it noted these words about the Messiah. It says, his star will rise in the heavens. His star will rise in the heavens. You know the wise men they followed the star as they looked for this universal king who is going to bring deliverance who is going to bring bring peace throughout the world. You know during this Christmas season there's some lessons that we can benefit from as we look at these ancient wise men and who came searching for a king. I mean I would say to you this morning that we should let the wise men come again. I mean, let's encourage wise men and women to come to church. I mean, when the church began, people didn't hesitate to seek wisdom and knowledge there. And the church drew people of wisdom into its fold, and they in turn educated others. Folks, this is why we have colleges and universities. Most of them were begun by the church. They brought wise men in and and women and they brought them in. And the church should say to folks, bring your questions, bring your fears, bring your uncertainties and doubts with you in search of the truth. You see, they are welcome. They are welcome here in the church. Church isn't afraid of them. Come, thinking people, come. Let's talk about this. You're welcome here. You see, we follow the Lord Who leads us into truth? There's nothing to be feared there. He leads us into truth. I'm convinced that our spiritual lives can be enhanced by science and our other life disciplines. The things that, it's all of life, it's not, it's both and. We live a spiritual life, we are spiritual beings, but we also live on this earth. And I think all of that together enhances our lives. See, our Christian values and our beliefs can be strengthened as we face the hard and tough questions of life. We don't need to fear that, nor should we evade them. But you see, the wise men, they were also willing to ask questions. In verse two, it says that when they arrived in Jerusalem, they begin asking the questions, where is he who was born king of the Jews where is he they went to the capital city they went to where the other king was reigning they went in question to find out where hey his star we followed the star we're here where is the newborn king where is he that is born king of the Jews and they asked this question as they traveled the streets of Jerusalem now here's something significant Those in Jerusalem could not answer because they did not know. (laughs) He was their Messiah. He was the one who was prophesied of all people, the people in Jerusalem, the capital city of Israel, should have known where the Messiah would have been born. It was prophesied hundreds of years before. They should have known that, but they did not know. I think that's a bit ironic. That those in the holy city did not know of the birth of the Christ child, but the wise men from a foreign country, from from hundreds of, maybe thousands of miles away, came and were aware of his birth. See, that was Matthew's way of saying Gentiles and foreigners would know about the birth of Christ and respond more quickly than the Jewish people. His own people would reject him, but the Gentiles would recognize him. See, we notice from Matthew's account that the wise men followed a star. Now, I'm not trying anyone, uh, trying to encourage anyone to take up astrology. And I'm not convinced that the real message is determined by trying to locate what historical star the wise men might have followed, or maybe let the horoscope guide you. That's not what I'm saying. But listen, when we think about a star, the star represents a sign, a sign that God places in our hearts. Think about this. A sign that God places in our hearts a longing, a quest, a nudging, a pull. Call it vision. The idea here is God was speaking to the magi from far away. And he gave them this desire, this quest. We need to follow that star because that star is going to show us the king. That star is going to take us to King Jesus. And they began following that star. When we follow his star, that means that we are open to God. That we're open to, and he leads us in new directions, new pathways into deeper truth. And I think that's big because, you know, when you think about the Old Testament's prophets, they remind us in Proverbs twenty nine eighteen that where there is no vision, the people perish. These foreigners, the magi, were bringing vision to the people of Israel. Hey, where, where is he who is born king of the Jews? Can you tell me where he's born? You know, there's a line from the song The Impossible Dream. It states that one is committed to follow that star no matter how far. See, we need to pray that we too find that star, that we find that longing, that that quest, that pull, that vision that will enable us to grow in our faith and in our spiritual life. I mean, captured by Christ's brilliance, (laughs) may we forever follow his light. See, when the wise men, they found the child, the wise men, they presented gifts to him they brought from their own and they gave gifts to him. You know, one of the wise men brought gold. It's what it mentions here. Gold, definitely an appropriate gift for a king, but it represents the material possession of life. It represents the material possessions that we have that God has blessed us with. He brought gold, a gift for the king. And as our king, we commit all of our possessions in his service. What? Yeah. We commit all of our possessions into his service. Lord, all that I am and all that I have belong to you. Use them as you will. Everything that we have, all that we are, belongs to him as our king. See, other magi, they laid frankincense at the baby's feet. I mean, frankincense was used in worship at the temple. It was used as part of the worship ceremony, and it symbolizes the priestly nature of Jesus. See, that's huge, because Christ was later recognized by the churches as our great high priest. I mean, if you read in Hebrews, the book of Hebrews, it talks about that how he's our great high priest, so far superior than any earthly high priest. You know, the Latin word for priest is pontifex, and it means bridge builder. Frank Stagg's understanding of Jesus as mediator kind of helps here. As mediator, Jesus is the one who overcame the betweenness I'm not sure that's a word, but I like it. The betweenness between us and God, okay? Jesus is the one who overcame that. He's the mediator. He's our high priest. And as our high priest, Jesus bridged the gulf that separated humanity from Almighty God. He did that for us. The third gift, moving on, the wise men brought and presented to the baby was a gift of myrrh. Myrrh, that sweet gum, fragrance. It was a perfume that, and a, or a spice that was used for embalming and burial. And you know, as believers who've accepted Christ as our Savior and Lord, we are, we are baptized. We are baptized and, and really, you know, it's interesting, um, in sign language the the, the word for, for baptism is like this. Okay, and it means to be to die, to be buried, and then to be raised to walk in new life. And when you think about that as believers, we are buried in baptism and it symbolizes the dying of our old way of life. And then we're raised to walk in a new way. I mean this year, this Christmas season we must remember that the baby whose birth we celebrate grew up. He grew up and he died on a cross for each one of us so that we could be reconciled to God, so that we might have a more abundant life, a more abundant life, one that is fuller, See, a lot of people, they don't have that opportunity. They don't, they don't respond to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And what happens is, is we, they pretty much just live on this level right here, this earthly level of just existence and, and being all about the stuff here. But when you give uh, your life to Jesus Christ, what happens is you become born again. And you are born of the Spirit. And so now you've got this earthly life and you have this spiritual life. And so it's a much fuller life. It's a more abundant life. And God desires that for each one of us. And we have that opportunity. And he died for us so that we might have a more abundant life. Not only here, but in the life to come. See, Christ's birth and, and death are forever linked in the minds of the New Testament writers, those two go together, his birth and his death, buried with Christ in baptism, raised to walk in a new life. See, the gifts, they represent the best that the wise men had to present to Christ, the King. They represent the best that they had. So I ask, what gifts will you present to him this Christmas? What gifts will you give to Jesus Christ this Christmas? You know, there's a painting by Francisco uh, de Zerberin, Zabaron, I think. Um, his, it's called Adoration of the Shepherds. And in this picture, it hangs in in, uh, Grenoble Museum. But in this picture, it shows the the shepherds and their wives kneeling by the manger with Jesus in the manger. And one of the wife, she offers a basket of eggs as a gift to the Christ child. A basket of eggs. How simple, yet how appropriate. I mean, they're meant, the gift was meant to sustain life. So we think about simple gifts. What simple gifts can we offer this Christmas? I say, what gifts will you offer this Christmas? Let me just suggest a few quickly here. I suggest you give the gift of time, it's very simple. But it's one of our choicest gifts. The gift of time. I mean, time is one of those things, you know, you investing your time by reaching out to those, uh, either in the church or in the community, maybe, uh, who are lonely, who are sick, or maybe who are even homebound. They, they don't have the opportunity to spend time with others. But maybe we could give the gift of time. I think that's a big one. I would also suggest the gift of gold, your money as a gift to Christ, your possessions. Commit part of your possessions, maybe a tenth. Commit all that you have to him and it will all be, uh, it will be blessed. You can, you know, it's amazing because when we commit it to him, that first part, what happens is he blesses all the rest. But what happens is we're stingy, we're selfish people, and so we choose not to do what we know we should do. Invest part of your gold in something that will outlive you because it's directed towards spiritual matters. You know, we're receiving an offering next week for international missions so that those who are out there telling those who've never heard who Jesus is. I mean, what a great thing to be a part of. Maybe you can't go, but you can give. We all have this opportunity. You know, Emerson expressed it this way. He said, the only real gift is a portion of yourself. As we commit ourselves to God, our possessions, and all that we have and are, we will be focused correctly then. I would also say, give the gift of prayer. You know, as you pray for others, you offer encouragement to them. You offer hope to those who need it. Set aside some time to pray. Pray for those who are, have pressing and special needs. Did you notice that when the wise men came in, they knelt down and they worshiped Christ as they presented him with their gifts? Here's my point. Jesus Christ, (laughs) he represents the end of our quest. People all over this earth are searching for something. They're, They're trying to fill it with something. They're trying to search for something. And Jesus Christ is the fulfillment of the end of that quest. They traveled thousands of miles, the Magi did, to come and worship him. And when they found him, they laid their gifts at his feet. He is the end goal. He is the final prize. He is the salvation of our souls. He is the truth we are searching for. But isn't that the same way it should be for each one of us? when we come in and we worship in his presence that should be the that should ultimately end in adoration you know when we meet jesus christ he opens up an avenue to god and then and only then can we truly worship martin luther reminds us he said christmas presents a gift and a bestowing, a conferring, a giving that endures forever. (laughs) I love that. So in return, in return, how can we offer less than our best to him, to Jesus Christ? I mean, he and he alone is worthy of every offering that we bring. Worthy is the lamb. You know, after these wise men worshipped and they returned home, they returned home with a new vision and a new hope. They knew that they could not remain on their knees, but they had to get up and they had to go and return to their responsibilities. But now they were different. They had worshipped the king of kings. And the Lord of Lords. See, we have that opportunity, but we may not always use it because we sit and we think about things a hundred miles away from where we are and what we're doing. And this morning, I just want to call you back to that. When we worship Christ, we ought to be changed. We ought to be different. Something should change. When we worship Christ and then go back into the world, our lives should be different. Our meeting him should change us forever. And if it doesn't, it means there's a problem right here. We're not giving our gifts with the right motive. We're not here for the right motive. We're more worried about what somebody else might think of us than what he thinks of us. And so when we worship, we come to him and we lay our offerings at his feet and we worship him and we will be changed forever. I wanna ask you to ask the Holy Spirit the Holy Spirit of God to, to soften your heart, to cut away the dead wood, the coldness that, the, that our world has, has, has helped us to become, has lulled us to sleep. Cut away the dead wood and give your heart to Christ. Ask him for a heart of compassion. See, in this Christmas season, The coming of the wise men and their adoration for the Christ child, they symbolize the hope and the possibility of, yes, beginning again. I would encourage you to bring your gifts to the king and worship him. What about the gift of time? Just spending some time With the Lord. What about the gift of prayer? Just reaching out and and talking with him. What about the gift of possessions? Lord, this is what I have. This is what I give. It's for you. It could be simple. Whatever it is. Do that and you will truly have worshiped the Lord let's pray together loving father I thank you I thank you for this time and I thank you for the example that we have of the magi who came searching for the truth And Father, even though it was a hard journey, even though they came thousands of miles, Father, you rewarded their search for the truth. And Father, you reward our search for the truth when we come seeking you, thirsting after righteousness. Father, I pray that in our hearts that your Holy Spirit would just examine us. Father, that you would look into the the dark corners. And Father, if there are things that do not please you, if there are things that, that need to change, that you would drag them to the light. And Father, that we would confess those to you. Father, I pray that we would worship you with the right motive, Father, that when we come to worship, that we would truly worship you. Father, that we would not be crossing off the boxes, that we would not be um, just going through the motions, but God, that we would worship you, that we would spend time with you, that we would talk to you. Father, that we would honor you with the best that we have. Father, guide us as we respond to your Holy Spirit this morning. Father, I am thankful that you came to us, that you gave your son, Emmanuel, God with us, so that we could be reconciled to you. Father, may that be so this morning in each one of our hearts, in each one of our lives, in our homes in our families, in our nation. Guide us in Jesus' name we pray, amen.